This episode is brought to you by Habit Aware. If you follow me on social media, you have seen me with my keen too in lilac. I love it. And I love that it is a tool created for BFRBs by someone who has a BFRB. My Keen 2 brings awareness to my trichotillomania by giving my wrist a gentle hug or vibration when I'm doing the scanning behavior. Bring awareness into your life by visiting barbaralally.com slash habit aware. So let's jump into body focus process addictions. I would love to, I can obviously ask questions. I would love to do that, but I kind of also want to give you the opportunity to just talk about and explain it the way that you want to, and you guys can like bounce off each other and I can kind of just sit back. Great. Well, you know, Shelly and I were fortunate enough to meet a number of years ago when I was teaching a course at the OCD Center of Los Angeles for people with BFRBs. And I had a number of clients over the years who I who I noticed also had other behaviors that, that were problematic but, but not diagnosable at that time. So things like drinking too much, but not an alcoholic, somebody who would start drinking and then not be able to stop drinking. But if they didn't start drinking and they didn't always want to drink, they'd be fine. So not an alcoholic. They didn't drink every day. It's just when they started drinking, they had trouble stopping. Sound familiar? Yeah. And so then you know, I've been thinking about that for many years and just thinking, and then there's, you know, like compulsive shopping or eating, talking compulsive talking, what I call compulsive talking, like there, there are other ways that these kinds of things, you know, show up. And it's been a number of years now, maybe five years that the term process addiction came across my radar. And I was like, wow, okay, that that's interesting. I'm interested in that because I think it explains something that I've been witnessing for a number of years. And, and so Shelly and I started talking about it because, you know, we were already together in this community and referring clients back and forth. And so we talked about this idea of process addictions and, and Shelly completely related when I brought it up and we just were like, yeah, we just, we think we're really onto something that describes the process that the, the what happens when people are picking and pulling and biting and all of that. And so we knew that we wanted to work in helping people with process addictions. And then we realized we're onto something here. And it we, through many discussions, we came up with the term body focused process addictions. And we have trademarked that term and are, you know, moving forward in a, a treatment model with that term. And the people that we have spoken to that we've revealed this information to so far, when we say it's a process addiction, whether it's someone such as yourself, Barbara, or in the community, whether it's our clients, new clients, old clients, other people in the community, they're like, oh yeah, a lot of people are like, Oh my gosh, absolutely. I can relate to what I do as an addiction, as a some sort of addiction. 
And I just want to say, I know Shelly wants to jump in here, but you know, I, I just want to say that we're aware that some people don't like have issues with the term addiction and, and that's okay because many people still think of addiction solely as either drug or alcohol addictions. Those addictions are addictions, but so is this whole group of things that are starting to be identified called process addictions. This includes internet, this includes sexual activity, this includes shopping, this includes eating, this includes skin picking, hair pulling, all these different process or behavioral addictions. And why are they addictions? Because just like substance abuse, they light up the dopamine receptors in the brain. And when we realized that we were on to something big here in terms of beginning to identify what's been missing in treatment and us being able to provide it, we realized it's, it's process addiction. And the couple of people that have identified it, somebody in Europe and this, this professor here in the United States have really given us the momentum to continue to move forward, plus everybody that we talk to who goes, oh yeah, this is definitely the missing piece. And so I came from this perspective of treating it like OCD, but never feeling like I was feeling like there was something missing and that the emotions needed to be addressed as well. And so this idea that it's addiction then really fed in and Shelly to talk about this, her expertise and training through Brene Brown and shame and guilt. And when we put those two things together, we're like, oh, wow, we are so on to something that has the potential to help and heal so many people. So it's sort of putting, we're not getting rid of what has come before us in terms of the behavioral treatment, but we are expanding on that to say, for many people, this is an addiction. There is an addiction process. The reason that these behaviors are so rewarding and so hard to stop is because the neurochemical process that goes on in the brain through the dopamine cycle is extremely powerful. Ask anybody who's ever tried to stop anything, smoking, drinking, you know, it's hard, but it doesn't mean it can't be done. So, you know, but addressing as as I know Shelly is going to talk about the shame and guilt, that's a huge piece that was missing before we incorporated it into our body focused process addiction model. Mm, Well said, Karen. This is not just a behavioral disorder. This is not, this is, there is an emotional component that is not getting addressed. And so I have a problem with body focused, repetitive behaviors. I'm not going to argue it. And I won't, I won't disrespect calling it a BFRB, but to me, it's so much more than that. And it always will be. And I will, I will continue to treat and educate otherwise because You can't treat, sorry, I'm shaking the table. You cannot treat the behavior when you are living in shame, people. How many years have so many of us gone to a therapist's office for behavioral treatment and walked out of there with our koosh balls? (laughs) Karen loves when I go into my little koosh ball stories. (laughs) But I mean, come on. Who wants to pull a koosh ball? (laughs) It doesn't give you the dopamine hit that we're looking for people, you know, (laughs) I mean, seriously. So 
but you know, we laugh about it, but I go home with the next toy and the next fidget and the next idea. And I come back to therapy $200 later, back in the eighties, that was a lot of money. And all I did was fail. Mm. I constantly failed. They might've gone, well, what did you learn for, you know, what did you learn? What, what can we try next? You know, but the bottom line is I can, I was continuously failing. And if you're constantly failing and you're already in a shame spiral, you're not getting anywhere. You're going nowhere fast. So lots of our treatment model is around how do we help educate treatment providers around noticing where someone is actually at. And I'm going to describe to you how you do that because you cannot treat a client a person when they're in a state of shame or hopelessness, what you want to do is move them into a state of guilt. So there's the, there's shame and there's guilt. Shame is a focus on self. I am bad. I, I hate, I loathe myself. I can't stand who I am. I hate everything about myself. And guilt is a focus on behavior. I did something bad. I don't like that. I pull my hair out. But I don't, I'm not a horrible human being and shouldn't be on the planet because of it. I'm not, I'm not defined by it, but I, but I don't like that I do this. That's somebody who can actually look at getting their behavior managed. You're in a state of being able to manage at that point. But if you're living over here in shame, you're not going to help that person do anything until you address what's underneath the shame. All those layers I talked about in the other episode. For some of us who've built up layers and layers of, of pain and shame. And that's where all the exploration of perfectionism comes in and the pieces of armor that we wear to protect ourselves from getting hurt, being seen and vulnerable, because we're so scared of getting found out and that being defined by it, right? And I guess my brain just sort of jumped to how do you get the elephant out of the room when it's been living in there for so long and it's your, your only focus. And it's scary because you spent many years of foreboding joy and, and, and you spent many years of numbing and probably living in perfection because most of us aren't satisfied until we get that last root or that last pimple or whatever out. And those three things that I just mentioned are the pieces of armor that we use to protect ourselves from feeling vulnerable and having the courage to be who we are, regardless of what we do to ourselves. And I think that's really well said, Shelly. And I think that, you know, just addressing a little bit more of the shame piece, you know, it's easy to understand from this perspective of looking at shame, why so many people with body-focused process addictions, hair pulling, skin picking, body-focused repetitive behaviors, you know, just feel like I'm never going to get better. I'm. It's scary to go to someone like a therapist, a psychologist, a dermatologist, your doctor, whoever, who does it. This is changing slowly, but, you know, in the past, especially it's like, or still today, who doesn't understand who tells you, well, just stop. This isn't good for you. Just stop. Yeah. And, and that just like triples down on the shame, you know, here you are going and, and asking for help. 
And somebody who doesn't know what these conditions are, I'm, I'm not blaming them, but they just amplify the shame. So then where does the person go with that? Well, most of us are going to like be like the turtle and crawl back into our shell, right? To protect ourselves. So it really is important to address the shame. It's, that's a, a big, big piece that, that has been missing. I think selfishly speaking, given myself and Karen, we're both sufferers. That differentiates our perspectives just a little bit. I mean, you can't knock somebody's lived experience. And I I don't know, and I, I'm not here to judge anybody out there, but at the same time, it's really hard to know what it's like to live with something you've never lived with. And I don't know how, I don't know that you can educate even providers, counselors, anybody to really know what it's like but I feel there are better ways to, with with more empathic understanding around shame, maybe it will feel more inviting. This is just kind of kidding me. You know, it's like, at least if, if, count, if providers have a better understanding of the shame factor, maybe that will be a, a better, a greater invitation for people to come and ask for help. Because right now, I have no words for, for how many people, how many years of therapy, like to Karen's point, have spent thousands of dollars and they come to me and they're like, I just, all they want to know is feel like they're seen and heard. Ultimately, they just want to know that they're not alone and there's someone out there who gets them. I think that's a great point, Shelley. And I think that by classifying these conditions as process addictions, that more people will understand. I, I didn't think about that until you just said that. That's what popped That's into my mind. That's that so most people have experienced a process addiction. And this is, I mean, this is, you know, groundbreaking information that's coming out. But even if they haven't picked or pulled or had a body focused process addiction, they've probably had an internet or, you know, a shopping. Oh, well or said. Yeah, no, I'm getting excited because you're right, because there's more to identify with yeah. process addictions. People can't identify with BFRBs, but they the can identify with a process addiction. Yeah. So it's sort of like, okay, well, I might not have picked my, picked my skin or pulled my hair, but I certainly couldn't stop shopping during the pandemic, yeah. you know, or, or not uh, even and, the and pandemic. Now, well, and now it, it's, you know, it, it's become such a rewarding behavior that even though I'm in debt, I keep doing it because I don't know how else to self-soothe and, and deal with all the stress in our world. So yeah, that is exciting. I just realized that as, as you were so eloquently sharing that Shelly is that we we are we do have more people now who are going to understand through their own experience of process addictions really cool that was a really great coming together around that moment i love no that kidding. because i because it, you know Thank you, barbara <laughs> thanks barbara no it's great because we want to we want to relate to our therapists and our and our counselors and our coaches and and i think to this point we could do better with that if we identify these as process addictions the way they should be 
in our opinion, categorized. I could talk about HabitAware and all of the wonderful work they do all day long. Not only does the Keen 2 bring awareness to your BFRB with gentle vibrations, it tracks your vibrations, which allows you to look at your own personal data and make informed decisions. Start your journey with HabitAware by going to barbaralally.com slash HabitAware today. I can totally relate to leaving with the Kush ball. Mine was pulling the hair out of a baby doll. You know, have mm-hmm. a Barbie or baby doll. And Boy, like that said, feels so good, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so rewarding. Yeah. Even as a little kid, I was like, mm, I don't know. You know, this <laughs> is, it, it did make me feel bad after because I would come back the next week or two weeks and then my eyebrows are still missing or not grown back at all. And it was like, well, what are you, why not? Why not? And I'm thinking, well, I can't, I don't even have the words, even well into like my teenage years, didn't really have the words to tell you why it's not working. I just knew this wasn't. That, that's, you just said it. I had no words either. That was really well said. I didn't know what to say either. And then you feel even worse because you don't even know how to explain why you didn't want to do it. Because you didn't understand that it was the dopamine hit that you were missing. Yeah. And then the comorbidity of, I get, I can only really speak right now to trichotillomania and skin picking the body focus process addictions, but the comorbidity with anxiety and depression, right? Which again, also need to be addressed as part of the underlying conditions that, that fuel the self-soothing behaviors of the process addiction. So there's just so much more here, as Shelly was saying, than just a behavior. There is part of it is why am I, well, you know, we're genetically pre-programmed for these conditions, the genetic component. So we're, you know, somebody in our family has had a body-focused process addiction, body-focused repetitive behavior. So we are wired for these behaviors to soothe us. And if we are soothing ourselves through anxiety and depression with our behaviors, then it's about, okay, what are, and this is, you know, this is deep and comprehensive. And this is our approach is like a lot of other ways we can find to soothe ourselves. And that's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all those need to be addressed to help someone stop a behavior that they want to stop. And people are in different places, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, getting a little off track here, but you know, in terms of just wanted to say in terms of defining recovery, we believe that everybody gets to define what recovery is for them. So we don't have a, an idea that, oh, you should stop pulling or you should stop picking or you should do this or you should do that. It's like, what do you want? Right. You know, and that even, that, yeah, and it even might change over the course of working through some of these things, you know, it's like, well, maybe you're okay with it, but maybe you get to a certain point where you're like, no, I really, I, I'm, I'm feeling differently now. I think I really want to stop this behavior, you know, but as Shelly was saying, that's after all these other things, shame, perfectionism, and all of this have been addressed, then we're really looking more at just the behavior. So there's, there's a lot to process addictions, which is why I think, you know, the pandemic certainly accelerated the microscope on process addiction, the identification of and the prevalence of 
process addictions because we need so many people needed something to self-soothe, including drugs and alcohol, for sure. The usage of those went up 400% or something during the pandemic. And and then are we really on the pandemic? I don't know. Or, you know, it's like, and then how do you stop that? You know, and how do you stop uh, whatever, you know, your process addiction is? It's it once it gets white neurons that fire together, wire together. That's what, you I, know, we're taught in cognitive behavioral therapy. And the good news about that is our brains are plastic. We can always change our thoughts and our feelings to help change our behavior. When we change our behavior, it helps change our thoughts and feelings. And this is what I often tell people when they come into treatment with me. It's like, you don't know right now, but one of these days, as you recover, as you do the behavior less, your urges are going to go down. You're going to find other ways of self-soothing. You don't know this yet, but it's going to happen. Just stay the course. And it's hard to stay the course. Hard. I want to just quick circle back to quickly what something that Karen said around the soothing piece and the need, you know, especially with kids, I just want to say that not everybody's ready to stop. And we need to honor that, especially children, because I work with some young kids. I have a little 10 year old right now in, in Australia. And could she be more beautiful without hair? No, but everybody wants hair and wants to stop pulling. And these kids aren't in a position. I've really tried to educate the parents to empower the kids to reach out for me as they need me. What tools do you need now? Yeah, get that wig. Why don't you see how the wig works? And then, you know, like, let's talk about what it feels like when someone asks you that tells you you look like a boy. What are some tools we can use to because you know you're not a boy, right? I mean, but if we keep pushing the behavioral fidgets that are hanging around her neck all the time, which is great, but you know that they're not really working. So I, so it's this fine dance with young kids around, trust me, they will, there will come a time when they know they're ready to, to do that work. And we, the more space I feel, you know, it's new territory, believe me, but the more space I feel we parents can give their children Oh, to navigate that journey, supporting that journey as they, as the kids see it, the better off those kids are going to be because you pound, you pound them with stop, 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 and do this, do this, do this. It's just, you know, that's where the encryption begins. So anyways, that's just an interesting, that's a whole other podcast around children, you know, and, and treatment versus maybe younger adults and adults. But I think at the same time, what, what you brought forward is also very true for adults. So I think it, it, it's a good point right, for, for, for most people yeah. who've been suffering. You know, it's like, yeah, it, it's. You're absolutely right. Because you're talking to somebody who who didn't want to stop. Who's I and yeah, I'm I'm better off living with it than I am stopping. And I'm OK with that. Yeah. And And not to the degree that it used to be at all, but. Yeah. It's really about meeting the person where they're at, I think, you know, and it's like, what tools, what, what do you need? What, where are you at? How can we help you? As opposed to saying, you know, we're, we're part of the community that some people have different approaches. It's like, Hey, whatever works for you, we are for whatever works for you. 
we just want to say, if nothing's worked for you, maybe you want to check out our model. <laughs> maybe we can help. <laughs> and shame can't live when we talk about it. And that is the truth. And that is the step, one of the first steps to shame resilience. Which is why community and things like your podcast, Barbara, are so important so that people mm. have a place to share and not feel alone. That really goes a long way to reducing the shame. Sure does, Barbara. So grateful to you. Grateful to you guys. Thank you. I'm blushing, you see? <laughs> so something that you brought up that totally resonated with me was meeting them where they are and, and having parents that so bad want to cure you. And you're like, well, I don't even know what that even means. And something <laughs> that was interesting in my personal life was that when I was kind of pull less, like to everybody else, I'm cured and things are growing in and I'm just like kind of over this thing. Internally, I felt really horrible. Now as an adult, since I'm more open about my trick, I maybe look on the outside like I'm suffering more because things are missing and things are patchy or growing in. But inside, I feel so much better. It was just a really weird thing for me to, to kind of look at that and say, huh? That's not what I was used to. Exactly. Because, you know, I, I don't know what you would say, Barbara, but, you know, obviously you're in a stage of recovery because you're healing. You've healed stuff on the inside. You feel differently about yourself, you know, and perhaps the behavior feels a little more, you're at least a little more conscious or aware of it. And maybe you start to feel like you have more uh, power over it, you know, but certainly you feeling better on the inside is crucial. And, and really that's, that's crucial to anybody's growth or healing for anything is my belief. So that's, that's fascinating. Thank you for sharing that. That's really, really good to hear. Cause I think yeah. it really validates the fact that we're looking at a whole person. We're not just looking at the behavior. So true. I thank you for sharing that. Such a great example. Mm hmm. You may have touched on this before because I know we talked about the BFPA. You have a different model. And earlier we said the habit reversal training and cognitive behavioral therapy, they aren't going to work because they're not dealing with the processing addictions. Would you mind diving a little deeper into that? Well, I will just say again, just the cognitive behavioral therapy and habit reversal training are for many people part of the puzzle. And those things are in our model. So we're not saying that those things aren't helpful. We're just saying that they're not the, from a lot of people that we, that we've talked to so far and from our own experience, we know that that isn't enough. So we just want to be really clear that we're, we're adding tools to the toolboxes that are already out there. And we're trying to fill in gaps where people are not being able to move forward. So yeah, thank you for asking to to clarify that. I don't know if you wanted to to add on shell or not. No, I appreciate that because we're definitely not taking things out of the toolbox. We're adding to the toolbox. And some some feel very attached to what's still originally in the toolbox and we're just trying to further the conversation and move things forward because there's a lot more to look at than just scientific evidence. Right. We don't have a lot of research around process addictions and we don't have any scientific research. We have social research on 
people's experience, we don't have a lot of scientific research yet. We do on the addiction process, but we don't as far as. Well, yeah, I would just want to jump in and say, well, look at what Brene Brown has has put that's out. What I'm, that's why I'm right? saying I mean, like, ground theory research, ground theory research has changed the language. She's not a guru. She's a researcher. People always say, oh, she's she's the new guru. No, she's not a guru. She is a researcher. She did ground theory research on emotional intelligence, vulnerability, and shame. And she's put a language to it that we can speak around. And it's so helpful. It is, and especially in our community, this language and these concepts can be so helpful in better understanding ourselves, understanding how shame operates within us so it doesn't operate us. Right. So it's not all it's we're moving away very there's a lot of success stories of people whose research and evidence is the ground theory that Brene has done and, and it's not all done in the laboratory, right? The laboratory, we are the laboratory, our world is the laboratory, people's experience is the laboratory, and that's what we're moving forward with. Right. It's emotional and behavioral. We're emotional. We're human beings, not just human doings. I was able to go to your webinar presentation about body focus process addictions. Yeah. Will you be having more in the future? And if so, are we allowed to know when? We absolutely will be having more in the future. And we will have another similar webinar in 2024. We haven't decided on the date yet. The focus of what we're doing right now is putting together our treatment manual um, and and having something that we can focus on in terms of educating treatment providers. But we are continuing to reach out to the community and participate in many different ways. Your podcast, other people's podcasts, the Lighter Foundations Conference, you know, we're, we're participating in everywhere we can to get the word out. But I appreciate you asking that question. We, we will certainly keep you informed. We do not have a date at this time, but maybe by the time that this airs, we'll have an update for you. In the meantime, bodyfocusprocessaddiction.com is our website. Perfect. That was going to be my next question. If listeners listen to this and say, oh my gosh, I need to work with them. How can we find you? Can you plug all your information? Yes, we are body focused process addiction on Instagram. We're the, the BFPA resource center, but our handle on Instagram is body focused process addiction. And my Instagram and website is Karen Pickett and Shelly has her own as well. But ours together is the website bodyfocusedprocessaddictions.com and on Instagram bodyfocusedprocessaddiction. And our website's addiction.com, not with an S. So as we wrap up this beautiful two episodes, is there anything that you would like to tell the community right now? Have hope, participate in your community, reach out. There's a lot of us out there. Reach out. Mm -hmm. Don't give up because a community is so, so, so important. Let us know how we can help and stay in touch with us as well. Mm -hmm. We can't, we can't do this alone, but we can do it together. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Truck Talks. Did you know that I offer a Trichotillomania online course? 
My course is called Sharing Our Stories. In it, we do a deep dive into your relationship with Trichotillovania by using my guided journal, My Trickster Diaries, as our workbook. We also complete empowering activities and have a bi-weekly support group so that you can meet others in the community. As a gift to you, please use promo code TRICKTALKS25 to receive 25% off the five-session package. You can access this promotion at barbaralelli.com. Thank mm-hmm. you.